Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. What the hell is going on with the DNC bomber with the dreaded finger air quotes? What's going on with that case? Folks, I've been working on this with some actual investigative reporters, not fake news journalists, for a long, long time. And the case is growing more mysterious by the minute. Please don't miss a second of the opening of today's show because something is rotten in the, not state of Denmark, but Washington, D.C. Today, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. I've got that. Ron DeSantis taking on the woke George Soros prosecutors. I've got that. I've also got uh, an update on the economy. Some good news today and some bad news. Stay tuned. Loaded Friday shows and your questions, of course. If you're looking for a firearm that's easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. It's a portable rifle you can put together and take apart in a few minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case it comes in. It's so small, it can be stored anywhere, in a go bag, anywhere. It's light enough to carry everywhere. comes in black and two different camo patterns. You can pick one up for three to $400, depending on the finish. You can watch a few videos at henryusa.com slash survival. And while you're there, be sure to order their free catalog. Henry makes more than 200 rifles, shotguns, and revolvers in the role made in America, backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website. It's henryusa.com and be sure to order a free catalog. They'll send it with free decals on a list of dealers in your area. That's henryusa.com for a free catalog and decals and to see the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. It's Friday, so... It's Friday. <laughs> this is everybody's excited about this. I don't know. I have. I've, I've said it's like an excitement. Right. I don't. Know. Has someone got big plan? I don't know. There's like not much going on. I'm excited too. Um, <laughs> maybe I'll explain that in the uh, family not so friendly show and another date. But getting back to this show. So Darren Beatty, who is an amazing reporter at Revolver uh, and a, a good man who I've spoken to uh, many times, he knows what he's doing. He has been all over some of the. Open questions behind what happened on January 6th and the day before. Now, without getting into January 6th specifically today, because there's a lot of open questions there. Why were doors open? Why were people being waved in? Uh, who were who all these people who are on tape telling people inside the Capitol and now are not prosecuted? Those are all open questions. We understand that. In my humble opinion, IMHO, the biggest open question about the events of January 6th and the day before and the rally, the Stop the Steal rally that day, is what the hell is going on with the DNC bomber, bomber case? Now, if you remember, we were told that an individual who is on tape, and I'll play some footage from Revolver coming up in a minute that's on Rumble. I put the link. I rarely put a link to video in the show notes today. I put the link to the Rumble video because you need to watch the whole thing to understand what happened. An individual on tape, face a bit obfuscated by some, it looks like a mask and a hood, but an individual on videotape or digital recording goes and sits down on a bench near a series of benches in front of the DNC headquarters right before January 6th, okay? Right? He goes there, right? Right before all, the, all these events and stuff happen, right? And he leaves what appears to be a pipe bomb there. I'll get to that in a second. But I've addressed this in detail over and over again. How, how is it that a guy we are told, or a woman we don't know, this bomber, who could be the single greatest threat to democracy, who may have participated in the insurrection of January 6th, you get my point, 
obvious hyperbole here. How is it that the FBI hasn't found this individual? How? Folks, when the World Trade Center was bombed the first time, do you remember this, Joe? The way they found the guy was from a partial VIN of the exploded van that they rented, I believe, in New Jersey. Yeah. Partial VIN, vehicle yeah. identification number. Yeah. It wasn't even the whole VIN. No. How is it that you have video, and I'll play some of it, of this alleged bomber, you have multiple camera angles, and you have no idea who this person is? Now, many of you may say, well, Dan, you know, it's because you got video doesn't mean it's a good facial picture. Fair. But folks, I have a lot of friends in the NYPD and a lot of friends who are 1811s, federal agents at the federal level. And many of them have communicated to me that this is impossible that the FBI doesn't at least have an idea of who this person is or where he came from. How? Because folks, the way you investigate a case like this, okay, let's just take January 6th out of it for a minute. Let's say you're in a busy area, like say Washington, D.C., which is, uh, can we all agree the surveillance network capital of the world? There's a surveillance camera or a ring doorbell, Joe, every single inch of Washington, D.C. Pretty important spot, as Justin said. He's correct. So there's surveillance camera everywhere. So if someone were to drop a pipe bomb in the middle of, say, a D.C. busy area, like in front of uh, the DNC headquarters, and you've got that on video, the way they work is this. Pay very close attention to this. The way the investigators work is the first thing they're going to get is the video of the pipe bomb there because they're going to say, well, here's where we found the pipe bomb. It's at whatever, 17th and K, whatever. It doesn't matter. You get it? How are they going to know? Because someone reports the pipe bomb. So what's the first thing the investigators do? They go in, they they get to the surrounding buildings. They say, hey, we need that video. That's what happened here. Now, that video may or may not be helpful. Someone could have a mask on, gloves, whatever. So how would you identify the person? Well, then you get the video, how they entered that frame. You go back a block and then you go back a block when they entered that frame and then back and you, you see how you trace their steps backwards. You almost walk with them in reverse and then you get the camera footage for the other stuff. And then he's at another corner. And then eventually, ladies and gentlemen, what happens? Even if you have a face covering, a hood, gloves on and eyeglasses, eventually that person, when you trace their steps backwards, going from camera one to two to three to four to 10 to 20. Eventually that person does what? They get out of a car. They leave a residence. They get out of a cab or they come out of a hotel room. Can you tell me another way they could have gotten there? Let's not be ridiculous. Like maybe they helicoptered it. Don't be an idiot lefties. I'm talking to normal people now. Somebody was caught on camera when they went in reverse leaving a car, a cab, a hotel room, or a house. And what do all those things provide for you, Joe? A license plate, an address, or a hotel with a check-in reservation. How does the FBI not know this? My friend who used to work in Teru in the NYPD, the Technical Assistance Research Unit, right? This is what they do. They do the cameras for the NYPD. This is what they do. He was a detective there. Told me this is how they do it. They can do it in the other direction, too. You see someone mug someone on a subway? You can't get a good fix for them? You watch them run out. You watch them run to the next camera and the next camera and the next camera. And you know what happens? Sooner or later, that person gets in a car or a cab or whatever. They have to have something. How do they not know who this guy is or woman? 
I have a theory on this in a minute. Well, do they know who it is? And they don't want you to know who it is. Let me play this video. This is stunning. I, I can only play a minute of it um, in the interest of time, but it it's, sums up the whole thing. This is from Revolver. And it, please read this full piece. The piece is called, I should have given you the title of the piece. It's called Release the Tape. Revolver has definitive proof the FBI is hiding critical footage of the January 6th pipe bomber. It is in my newsletter, bongino.com slash newsletter. Please read this exhaustive piece of reporting from the Revolver folks. Here's the video they have up at Rumble. That link is in the newsletter too. It's the second link down. It's the Rumble video. The video is about two minutes. Here's about a minute of it where they describe, and please watch this on my Rumble too, where they describe how the FBI probably has video of the person has video of them dropping that pipe bomb. And yet, for some reason, we haven't seen the money shot angle. Why is that? Here, listen to this. Camera one shows the pipe bomber walking up to the DNC grounds at roughly 7.40 p.m. He sits on bench one. Then he gets up and walks off screen. According to the FBI, he walks the length of the DNC building. And 10 minutes later, he comes back to the same bench area and sits on bench two. There, at 7.52 p.m., Camera to captures the pipe bomber sitting on bench two and, we are told, planting the pipe bomb by the side of the bench, next to the bush. We are told the pipe bomber plants the pipe bomb there, but we can't see it. Camera two is occluded by a giant bush that blocks the scene. The pipe bomber even looks at camera to head on, for some reason. It's very frustrating, because we can't see the moment the pipe bomber plants the pipe bomb, but the FBI can. That's because the whole scene should be captured on camera one as well, and much more clearly than camera two. Camera one has a clear shot of both benches. If the FBI released the full tape from camera one, we could see the pipe bomber planting the bomb. Why is the FBI hiding what the security footage from camera one of the pipe bomber at bench two? Do they not want us to see the full scene? Isn't there a $100,000 reward? Don't they want our help to catch this guy? You know... Guy's watching this and Justin this morning and Joe and I, we chat obviously before the show, which is kind of it's during the show. So don't need to talk about what happens before the show. It's kind of irrelevant. We're here. But all of them said to me this morning, what the hell do you think is going on here? How is it that vice president elect at the time visited that DNC headquarters where that alleged bomb was outside can you throw the picture up from Revolver if you guys want to see if you're watching on Rumble? I'll describe it for you for your audio listeners. It is the most rudimentary, basic, almost laughably constructed, quote, pipe bomb I've ever seen. Yeah. It's literally a pipe. You can see it right here, Joe. Rumble viewers, if you're watching on Rumble, you can see it with like an egg timer on it. <laughs> Folks, a professional who was able to evade FBI surveillance, like we're being led to believe, like the FBI doesn't know he was and they didn't catch him coming out of a house or a car, right? A professional at surveillance and counter-surveillance would never put together a device like this that wouldn't even pass in a MacGyver TV sitcom for a bomb. He said to me this morning, he goes, what the hell do you think happened here? And I said, listen, I'm going to give you a lot of information. But when I'm speculating, I'm speculating. I don't claim anything as fact if I don't know it as fact. And the hard reality is, I'm really not sure. But I do have a lot of questions which may help guide you, and I hope that's the value added to this part. Let's get to question number one. 
How the hell did the Secret Service, who was sweeping that area, miss that pipe bomb? They had to have swept it, unless it was an off-the-record movement. That would explain it. If it was an off-the-record vice president-elect, Kamala Harris went to this spot. Movement. It's possible there was no sweep. Unlikely, but possible. If there was a sweep, and it's called an EOD sweep, Explosives Ordnance Disposal Team. How do you miss that? It was left, obviously, for people to find, and it was uh, constructed in such a ridiculous, over-the-top, rudimentary way. It was obviously meant to scream bomb. Ladies and gentlemen, it almost looks like, in my opinion, Joe, when we were in the training center in the Secret Service and we were instructing these people, uh, these, these students, these agents, we would plant fake stuff like that so they would find it during the scene. Obviously, inert, nothing in it. But it was supposed to look ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That's what this looks like to me. How was this not found? How was it not found? The dog, the dog that would have done the sweep in addition to a handler and a, and a bomb tech, an EOD team consists of a tech, a bomb tech, and a dog team, okay? Everybody tracking? The tech looks for stuff. Obviously, the, the human tech isn't sniffing around. And the dog, using its ethmo turbinates, sniffs around for gunpowder. If that was an actual bomb sitting right there, how did the dog not sniff it out? What if it was inert, Dan? Well, if it was inert and a dummy bomb, why would someone plant a dummy bomb outside of DNC headquarters? Would someone affiliated with Donald Trump's enemies want to make it appear that there was going to be an insurrection on January 6th? And maybe leave a device they knew would be found that looked ridiculous but was inert just to make sure that the you know, FBI and others put out that there was a bomb at DNC headquarters to add to the drama that it was an insurrection. The answer is, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know. And I'm not trying to be silly, like I'm just asking a question, but I, I think it's up to us at this point to try and figure this out because we're getting no answers from anyone, any kind of authority figure. The bomb clearly looks inert and looks fake. Now, you may say to yourself, here's another question. Well, Dan, we would likely know if the bomb was inert or fake because the FBI would have it and would fingerprint it. No, the device was detonated. But what it was detonated and it was real, say it was real, and I'm not willing to, I'm not, I'm not one of these guys who's willing to knock out any possible solution. Say the bomb was real and they did detonate it. Did they fingerprint it? Did they take a sample of the explosive? You can trace the explosive in some cases. Did you get the serial number off the egg timer first? Guys, I'm thinking as an investigator, like if all of the, did any of this happen? And if it was inert, why would you detonate it? Evidence, fingerprints, serial numbers, unique explosive, non-explosive, dummy device. You don't want evidence? Folks, I've been all over this case. Julie Kelly, Darren Beatty, people like myself. I've had Julie Kelly on my show so many times, I've lost count. She wrote a book called January 6th. Darren Beatty's been doing amazing work. Revolver. We've highlighted his work here. We have discussed this case ad nauseum. I'm going to end this segment of the show with this because I think this case is 
My, my faith in federal law enforcement has been shaken over the last three, four years. Folks, you know, if you're a listener to the show and I don't run away from it, I've been an avid defender of the people I worked with in the FBI because they were good people and I'm not going to lie to you for some cheap clicks. Oh, they were all terrible. The people I work with. Having said that, that's a limited group of people. I have completely lost faith in the management of the FBI. And I'll tell you this, I would not be surprised at all if there is a major scandal here. I only see a couple possible solutions, and I'll leave it at this. The so-called bomber was not a bomber at all. It was an inert device, and it was a political enemy of Donald Trump. I don't mean a political enemy of Donald Trump like Bernie Sanders. I mean like someone affiliated with a far-left group that hates Trump that planted that in front of the DNC to feed the insurrection narrative because they knew the Stop the Steal rally was going to happen the next day. That would explain why a dog didn't find it because it was never meant to go off because it wasn't real. The second scenario, which is highly unlikely, is it was a sophisticated bomber who knew to evade the DC surveillance camera network, who was so sophisticated they put together a crap device that never went off mistakenly somehow, screwed that up. And that person was looking to cause an insurrection, yet the FBI, for some bizarre reason, doesn't want to release the money shot video of what that person looks like. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I'm leaning here. Now, what bothers me about this is we've been all over this for a while, and there are other people out there, ladies and gentlemen, who are, I'm not their enemy. I don't understand this. There's this just, I usually don't talk about this because we get garbage like this all the time. I usually don't talk about it because of the Streisand effect. But I got particularly perturbed this morning when I woke up to a couple of uh, emails from listeners like, Dan, have you heard this guy invoke your name suggesting you're hiding information about January 6th? So when I was done laughing about hiding, if it's really weird how I'm hiding January 6th, considering, like I said, I'm, I, I'm just covered, I was covering it on today's show no matter what. We've covered it ad nauseum. Um, I've had all of them as guests on my radio show. That's really, really strange how we'd be hiding anything. So I heard this guy, this is an individual by the name of Bobby Powell. He was on a podcast and he's talking about how I'm hiding a tape about January 6th, but he says something very interesting here. And I want to prove to you because I got a bunch of emails. Dan, are you control up? Is it? Yes. Control. I'm controlled. We're controlled by everyone. Gee, you got the control. The boss is he telling you what to do? The boss isn't me. Gee's controlled too. <laughs> guy says something very, I'm going to prove to you that people go out there and use my name and others to lie to you to get clicks. They lie. They're lucky I'm not a litigious guy. They lie to you, and I'll prove it to you right here. Listen to what this guy said about a tape I'm supposedly hiding about January 6th. Check this out. I first gave Dan Bongino my video through Facebook on uh, in, in June of last year. I think it was June 6th. Or, yeah, about, right about then. <laughs> and uh, he never replied. Not a not single time. But you know how on Facebook Messenger, you can see down in the right-hand corner, you can see that little uh, icon that shows up the the person that you've messaged has seen it right yeah of course okay so uh i know that he saw this and i i doubled down because after a year gone by i sent him a registered letter i was sitting in a pizza shop not a quarter of a mile away from his house his home studio in palm city florida when uh he was when he was signing for that package that was last december okay folks um i don't know bobby powell from Powell Bobby. I have no idea who this person is. I, again, I usually don't highlight this stuff. I was on Stu Peter's podcast, which by the way, we have at Rumble, which I provide as a, uh, as an investor, as a free speech platform for everyone, even people who attack me. So they conveniently put in the headline, a clickbait title. I'm hiding this video. 
Let's address the Facebook thing first. There's about seven people, maybe more, of access to my Facebook. They check messages all the time. I check them during my radio show. Even then, I don't get to all of them. Why? I put a picture. I was going to show you the back end of it, but it's a waste of time because the people who they call up Paul Ryan's telling me they're not going to believe it. So it doesn't really matter. I get about per hour. I woke up this morning at five o'clock. I took a screenshot to send to you. You can at least vouch for me. I sent it to you, right? In 10 minutes, I got about 25 messages at five o'clock in the morning. What do you think I do all day? I have no idea who clicked on this guy, but he's sure I did. There's seven people who checked that Facebook page, maybe more actually, including Paula. I try to check it during my radio show for feedback, which I'm always, and even then I don't get to all of it. People send links all the time. I rarely click on them on Facebook because a lot of them are viruses. I have no idea what this guy's talking about. But then he said, now this is how I can prove to you he's lying. He says, which is, by the way, is super creepy. I was sitting outside of his house in Palm City. Ladies and gentlemen, on a very serious note, I have had some really serious security problems around my house that forced me to move. I don't talk about it a lot because it just brings more attention. The local sheriff knows about it. Very serious. I have to hire security when I'm here, when I'm gone. It's not funny. I have kids. I have a young daughter. More than happy to address things. But sitting out in front of my house. But did you notice he said something? He said, I had a package delivered to his house in Palm City. He signed for him. Well, now I know he's lying. Because ladies and gentlemen, I don't live in Palm City. And my office isn't in Palm City either. We're in the office now. Justin, are you in Palm City? Not at the moment. Guy, what about you? Guy says he's also not in Palm City. I don't live in Palm City. I haven't lived in Palm City for years. So how the hell did I sign for a package at a place I don't even live in? I've asked people repeatedly, you've heard it on the show, not to send me mail because they send it to Palm City and the poor guy who lives there has to throw all of it out. I feel really bad for him. He gets videos, manuscripts, books, CDs, music all day, and the mailman's losing them. Everything goes return to sender if we can now. I tell him, don't, I don't live there. I don't know what you're talking about. He's obviously making this stuff up. This happens all the time, folks. Please don't believe the first thing you hear. This is how people turn on each other in the movement because they need clicks. That's a lie and an obvious one. All right. I got a lot more to get to, including what is the FBI up to? Because they're clearly not up to solving this case of the DC uh, DNC bomber. What are they doing? Stunning expose by Project Veritas coming up. And then Ted Cruz grilling Christopher Ray, FBI director, yesterday. With cyber attacks on the rise, protecting your data security is more important than ever. So why is Congress considering a law that puts your data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill shifts billions in consumer spending to less secure payment networks, all so that corporate megastores can make bigger profits. Don't let Durbin Marshall steal your data. Visit handsoffmyrewards.com security and tell your senators to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Paid for by Electronic Payments Coalition. Okay, so we know the FBI is not trying to find the DNC bomber. So what are they up to? Another stunning revelation be in my newsletter today if you'd like to read it by Project Veritas. FBI whistleblower 
leaks the FBI's Domestic Terrorism Symbols Guide on militia violent extremists, citing Ashley Babbitt, victim of a January 6th shooting, as an MVE martyr. So the FBI apparently has a Domestic Terrorism Symbols Guide, Joe. So do you think that would be what? Like, uh, you know, the Antifa symbol? Yeah. BLM, like the actual, that would make sense, right? right. I mean, that's domestic terror, violent extremes. We've, we've you've played the video, right? Joe, you cut the video and audio in the beginning. We've yes. played tons of that, right? Them burning down cities. Okay, yeah. thank you. No, 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 you'd be wrong, though. That's not what the domestic terrorism symbols are, according to the FBI. Ah, crap. Who should be busy locating the DNC. <laughs> a little disappointed. Hey, hey, uh, the Project Veritas is of note, under the symbols section is a prominent citation of the Second Amendment. Where it explains that these militia violent extremists justify their existence with the Second Amendment due to the mention of a well-regulated militia, as well as the right to bear arms. That that is in the Constitution, right? God, you have the app, right? That is that is there. Just checking. I was I was unsure that me being a Second Amendment supporter, that I should be worried now if I put that up, uh, that I'll be investigated as a member of a militia violent extremist group. They note that. Under commonly referenced historical imagery and quotes section, that revolutionary war images such as the Gadsden flag and the Betsy Ross flag are listed. I don't know how I'm not being investigated right now. Each flag displayed in the document comes with a brief description of what it means. The Gadsden flag. Um, Joe and I met when I was running for Senate in the great state of Maryland, the United States Senate. And after I won the nomination, I specifically remember going to a parade with about 30, 40 people, and one of them had the Gadsden flag. Am I under investigation now, too? Right. I believe in the Second Amendment. I had a Gadsden flag. This is what, this is what the FBI is doing? They're investigating Antifa? Tax on uh, pro-life clinics? Are they investigating a DNC bomber? Ladies and gentlemen, again, I respect the guys who are doing the good job and the whistleblowers who are coming out, but my gosh, the management of the FBI, you are completely lost. This has to be priority number one in a hopefully a Trump administration or if he decides not to run a DeSantis administration. This has got to be priority number one, a house cleaning of DOJ and the FBI. Hit them hard right when it starts. You have about 100 days to dump that putrid swamp out. When they're complaining about one firing, fire someone else. And then when they're complaining about that guy, fire three more people. They'll never get their sea legs under them. This has to stop. We need people in office who are not Republicans, who are not Democrats. We need people in those spaces in the FBI and DOJ who are patriots and believe in our Constitution. Or go find another job. Here's one more piece of video from yesterday. Ted Cruz, who I really like and appreciate, Republican senator, obviously from Texas. He hits Christopher Ray up yesterday about another really strange case in the FBI. Remember the Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of uh, Michigan, the kidnapping case where they couldn't get a single conviction and it appeared that the FBI was involved in the alleged kidnapping plot may have entrapped the people who they tried to uh, prosecute into the plot themselves, meaning the plot likely originated with people in the FBI. Well, you would think, Joe, that all of the people involved in that case would be summarily fired, correct? Like, yeah, you're out of here? Yes, like, you just would. got caught in trade? That would, yeah, it would probably be how that would go. No, no, that's not what happened. One of them, it turns out, was transferred to a very interesting position. And Ted Cruz asked the FBI director about this yesterday. He's like, oh, I don't know. Oh, anything. Here, check this out. Two of them were acquitted. Two received mistrials. 
None of them were convicted on even a single charge. And the basis of the defense was entrapment that the FBI that paid enforcements for the FBI had suggested and had incited the conduct. Let me ask you, how many FBI agents were disciplined or reprimanded after that disastrous case and the misconduct that led to every defendant being acquitted or having a mistrial on every charge? Uh, Senator, I can't comment on a personnel matter. I can tell you that that case, as I understand it, is now pending a, uh, a retrial, as I understand it. Well, the special agent in charge of that case has now been sent to D.C., to the Washington, D.C. office, and now leads the investigation regarding January 6th. Is that correct? That doesn't sound right to me. That does not sound right. The, the, the name of the individual is Stephen D'Antuno. He was, he was run out of the FBI Detroit field office. Well, Christopher Ray, who I've warned you about repeatedly, seems to not know who's running his own field office in uh, Washington and the January 6th thing. So the same agent involved with the Gretchen Whitmer collapsed, quote, plot, kidnapping, entrapment case gets transferred to D.C. and is now running the January 6th case. What does he have to do with the bomber case? Are you looking into the, the bomber? Or is this a guy that they may say have some bad material on due to his involvement in the entrapment case, and he was the perfect guy to run this case too? You guys can all figure that one out. Maybe, maybe not. Folks, um, let me just tell you from inside experience, the two most powerful offices in any federal agency, Secret Service, DEA, FBI, in every agency are what? You guys got to guess? Every agency. The, the SACs, the special agent in charge of these offices are the anointed ones in their agency. New York and Washington, D.C. Matter of fact, we had a joke when I was in the New York field office. We would call it the flagship. Why would we call it the flagship office? We even had shirts made, the flagship, because it pissed off the WFO guys, the Washington field office guys <laughs> who thought they were the flagship. I'm serious. We have to ask any New York agent. They'll tell you. We had shirts made, the flagship. You're telling me the FBI director doesn't know who's running, who the managers are in his Washington field office in charge of the January 6th case? Folks, again, if you believe that, I've got a house over in Palm City to sell you that's real cheap right now, even though I don't dodge. <laughs> Even though I don't live there. I don't live there. I'll tell you, real cheap. Something's going on here. And I'm afraid that the people in charge are the wrong people. And they have something on the wrong people. And they're putting the wrong people in charge, knowing that the wrong people will continue to do the wrong thing. You get what I'm saying, Joe? And if they don't, yeah. then they'll expose their wrongdoing. This doesn't make any sense at all. Man, this show is like flying by. My gosh, did I spend too much time on stuff? It's like 34 minutes in. I'm going to do good stuff. Okay, here is another episode. It's been a while of Ron DeSantis Strikes Again. We love Ron DeSantis. He's the governor down here in the great state of Florida. In my opinion, the best governor in the country. So Ron DeSantis is really not having these George Soros prosecutors run his state. That's not the way it's going to go down. So Ron, uh, Ron DeSantis, who is the governor of Florida, we have a prosecutor down here in the 13th Circuit who is a uh, complete zero, a guy by the name of Andrew Warren. Um, he's terrible. He is one of these 
guys who subscribes to the Soros type ideology that the victims of crime are to get screwed over and the perpetrators of crime are the victim. That's him in a nutshell because I got a lot to get to. Okay, that's Andrew Warren. The man is a disgrace to prosecutors all over the country. So rather than take it like a lot of other governors, even Republicans included are around the country, Ron DeSantis is like, you know, we're going to hold the presser. And we're going to suspend Andrew Warren in front of the entire country, which is exactly what you need to do. Watch for yourself. When you flagrantly violate your oath of office, when you make yourself above the law, uh, you have violated your duty. Uh, you have neglected your duty and you are displaying a lack of competence uh, to be able to reform those duties. And so today we are suspending state attorney Andrew Warren effective immediately. <laughs> I left that applause in there on purpose. Joe was probably wondering, because usually we right. edit it out and the interest. Nah, I left it in there, but you all needed to hear that. There's more of it. I just, right? There's like yeah, another I, I 10 seconds of it. a little bit smooth, yeah. yeah. I figured you did that because, you know, we only have a limited amount of time, but I wanted you to hear that because that's what it sounds like when you're surrounded by law enforcement and people actually care about public safety who say, nope, not on my watch. not going to happen. He's, he's suspended. Good. Now, folks, why was he suspended? This is one of the, I think, value-added components of this show, I think, really matter. Um, he's suspended for a reason. Let me give you an example before I get to this Wall Street Journal piece that explains it succinctly, but, but, uh, and it's well done. I'll give you an example when I was a police officer. As a police officer, you have discretion. Meaning, let's say I pulled Joe Armacost over for doing, uh, you know, 75 and a 55. I am in no way administratively or legally obligated, because those are two separate things, either administratively obligated by the NYPD or legally obligated as a police officer for the state of New York within the NYPD. I'm not obligated to write him a ticket. You have discretion. And it happens all the time. My daughter got pulled over last week. The police officer was kind enough to let her off with a warning. Happens all the time. Here's what you cannot do, however, as a prosecutor or a police officer. Granted, they have different roles, but the police officer example, because most of you haven't had contact with a prosecutor, thankfully, but you probably have with a police officer. Here's what the police officer absolutely cannot do administratively or legally. He cannot say to the shift supervisor as he's going out to get in his car, hey, Sarge, yeah, I'm not writing uh, speeding tickets anymore, ever, for any reason. But legally, I'm not, that's a kind of squishy, just so precision matters. But administratively, you'll be fired immediately. That's your job. You may not like it. I, I hated it. I rarely wrote traffic tickets. Rarely. Believe me, I hated it so much. But it is part of your job. You can't say I'm not going to do my job and then collect a taxpayer check. Does everybody get that? You can say I'm not going to write this guy a ticket. You cannot say I'm not going to write anyone a ticket ever. That is what this prosecutor wanted to do with entire categories of crime. The prosecutor, Warren, is perfectly entitled to say, I'm not going to prosecute Joe for this crime in the Tampa area of Florida because Joe did X, Y, and Z, and I think it's a mitigating factor. Fine. Let's say Joe committed a bank robbery. God, poor Joe. What he cannot say is, I'm not going to prosecute Joe for the bank robbery because I don't prosecute bank robberies. You see the difference? Oh. Wall Street Journal, they note DeSantis ousts a progressive prosecutor. They note, so they get to nullify the laws duly passed by the state legislature? 
To take a position, you have to veto power over the laws of the state. That's untenable, DeSantis noted. The journal says DeSantis is right about that. For a prosecutor to announce ahead of time that he intends to decline whole categories of cases simply because he disagrees with the legislators who wrote the criminal code is an abuse of discretion. Bingo! You are absolutely 1,000% correct, Amundo. I can decline to prosecute Joe for a bank robbery. Not a good idea. But I cannot decline to prosecute bank robberies in general. Andrew Warren deserved to be suspended. He's a disgrace to his profession. All right, moving on. A lot to get to, including your questions coming up. I found this story fascinating. Uh, TMZ covered it. Aaron Rodgers, you know, is a, is a pretty talented quarterback, Green Bay Packers. I saw this, and uh, I know this is kind of not typically what we covered during the show, but it is Friday. I hope you'll allow me some leeway. And the reason I bring it up, if I may, without getting depressing, pun intended. Um, depression runs in my family. Depression's a very real thing, folks. Um, I've had it. I probably, you know, it doesn't, uh, I don't like showing weakness. I don't like telling you that. Just, that's not a cry session. I'm not a snowflake. Everybody's got issues, whatever, who cares? But I've had it and I don't know how to describe what it is. For those of you who are depressed, who have been there, you know how it is. I, my wife and I used to call it the black cloud. And it, it, the, what makes it different than sadness is people, there's typically a, a genesis of your sadness. Someone dies, someone breaks up with you, you lost a lot of money, you're fired from a job. That's not depression, that's sadness. There's a big difference. It's perfectly logical to be sad if you get fired from a job you love. Depression's different. Everything in your life could be going great. Folks, I have the greatest life ever, thanks to you. Ever. I mean that. I'm objectively stating. There was, no, people may have lives as good as mine, not better. And it's due to you. I've been through a lot of trauma, but we've come out. I, you've given me this microphone. You've allowed me into your homes, which is the greatest honor of my life. You've made us the second most popular podcast and one of the biggest radio shows in the country, the number one show on Fox. That's because of you. My life is so amazing because of you. But you know, a lot of days I wake up, I don't feel that way. And it's hard. My wife can tell. Again, she calls it the black cloud. It runs in my family. It's not just me. It's a long story. Having said that, I saw this story about Aaron Rodgers. How he credits psychedelic ayahuasca, the plant, for the best season of his career. If you watch my Fox show, you know I've covered this quite a bit. The explosive growth of mushrooms, the use of uh, what is it, MDM, ecstasy, ayahuasca, and other psychedelic compounds. Because I'm fascinated by what they do for people with depression. I've been considering to try it myself. I know the lefties think this is all funny, but I, I can already see the tweets. Oh, maybe Dan Bongino will kill himself. I get it. I get it. We'll all laugh with you. You guys are hilarious. Uh, but there are people out there really suffering. And if this is a potential solution, mushrooms, ayahuasca, again, ecstasy and other drugs out there, uh, psilocybin, then we damn well better entertain it because I've been through this and it's terrible. Here's Aaron Rodgers talking about how he tried ayahuasca and apparently led him to a greater sense of self-love. And you know what? Again, you think this is funny. You want to laugh at it. I'm not saying you, but the libs out there just make fun of this and the show. That's fine. You do that. But if this can save some people, especially our soldiers, many of them who find themselves with PTSD in a, in a, in a constant state of depression, then I don't really care if you're laughing or not. This stuff is important. Listen to him describe what happened. He was on the podcast. Check this out. We talk so much about mental health. You know, Marshawn Lynch had a classic kind of retirement press conference talking about taking care of your mentals. And we talk so much about it, the 
about mental health. And to me, one of the core tenets of your mental health is that self-love. And that's what ayahuasca did for me. It was help me see how to unconditionally love myself. And it's only in that unconditional self-love that then I'm able to truly be able to unconditionally love others. Mm-hmm. And what better way to work on for me and my own, this is my own belief, but what better way to work on my mental health than to, than to have an experience like that? I mean, the best, the greatest gift I can give my teammates, in my opinion, is to be able to show up and to be someone who can model unconditional love to them. And that's the best thing I can do for my family, too. To show them and to model. The do matters, right? Don't be a hypocrite. What I say in the show all the time, Joe, for eight years, talk is cheap. The do matters. Yes, sir. I want to model unconditional love for them, too. I have not taken psychedelics, but I'd be lying to you if I said I'm not strongly considering it. I had a rough time with a lot of stuff. Um, just so you know, I'm, I believe so passionately about this. I'm going to be uh, doing a segment on my Fox show tomorrow night about it, um, about the use of psychedelics with a uh, mental health professional with a medical degree. You know, I'm Dr. Cariotti. He actually knows a lot about this. So check it out if, if you see fit. I've got some economic news, good news and bad news. And then we got your questions. They're very good today. Okay, folks, um, so there's a couple things going on with the economy. The jobs numbers came out. We added 528,000 jobs uh, last month. That is, that is a very good number. Uh, please, dude, let's, uh, I, I refuse to do what these maniacs on the other side do. We live in America run by an economy where people have jobs. I'm not going to talk the place down and make everybody hope everyone suffers to defeat this buffoon in the White House. We can do that easily. He's obviously incompetent. We don't need to hope people get poor to do it. The number came out. Having said that, the pace of job openings is now slowing, and we are in a little bit of trouble. We're in a lot of trouble. And I think the coming quarters and the coming months, I hope and I hope and pray I'm wrong. I'm in no way trying to talk down the economy. Please understand. Due to the productivity numbers going down, the PPI numbers going up, and the inflation numbers maybe leveling off but staying high, I think we are in for a massive job shock, and I hope and pray I'm wrong. Having said that, we are in an inflationary crisis. We are now in a recession, as defined by the two quarters of negative GDP. We are in an actual recession right now, even though, paradoxically, we're still adding jobs. I think that's because of the corona, uh, the dip in the corona uh, job, uh, the job numbers. But keep in mind, our labor force participation is still at near historic lows meaning a lot of people who left the workforce during Corona did not come back. These are not good signs. Here's MSDNC, Joe Scarborough, talking about this new Inflation Production Act, which they hilariously call the Inflation Reduction Act. And Joe Scarborough apparently didn't take an Econ 101 class. He's talking about how in this new Inflation Production Act, how the price controls are going to put on medicine, how they reduce inflation. Apparently, he doesn't understand how resources are allocated. He could have got this from a Charlie Brown encyclopedia. Listen to that. This is like second grade stuff here. Check this out. It's interesting. I, I, I guess Mitch this, this and all Republicans helps. are against stopping prescription drugs uh, and those prices from being hiked because that's anti-inflationary. Uh, I guess Mitch and the Republicans are against allowing Medicare to negotiate with big drug companies to get better deals, that would drive down the price 
of, of Medicare. So that's anti-inflationary. I guess, Mitch, and the Republicans are against limiting out-of-pocket drug costs for working-class Americans. That's anti-inflationary. Oh, my gosh. These people lie to you all the time. Thank you, Joe. That is not what's in the bill. It is not a negotiation between the government and drug companies. The negotiation is this. You will charge the price we tell you to charge, and we'll charge you a 95% tax and steal all your money. It's like putting a gun to Joe's head and saying, Joe, you're going to edit this podcast. It's a negotiation. No, it isn't. <laughs> you may say, well, Dan, that's a good idea, putting price control. Yeah, we'll control Medicare uh, price infl- uh, drug uh, inflation, 100%. You'll also get rationing. You're going to tell a doctor, a doctor, you can charge $4,000 a day to all of your collective clients. Yeah, but it cost me $10,000 a day to open my office and pay my staff. What does a doctor do? The doctor stops showing up. When you tell a drug company, folks, I have no dog in this fight. Oh, you're a shill for drug companies. Uh, You're an idiot if you believe that. I have no dog in this fight other than the rules of economics, which are iron. You tell a drug company, you're not going to be able to recoup your costs for the R&D of the drug because we're telling you to charge this. What are they going to do? They're just not going to open up their office and produce the drugs. Econ 101, folks. They keep lying, too, all the time. Um, just one more quick thing from the blaze showing you how the economy and they keep lying about it. John Roberts called out Amos Hochstein yesterday, Biden economic flack on TV. John Roberts asked a really good question. He asked him about gas prices. He says, you guys said Putin, uh, the Putin price hike contributed to the gas hike. Now that gas prices are coming down. I noticed all of a sudden Biden's taking credit. So Putin's in charge on the way up and Biden on the way down. Does that make any sense? And Hochstein's like, well, Gas prices, uh, you know, they weren't going up before the before the war in Ukraine. Uh, no, that's a lie. Gas prices, the blaze notes, were in fact increasing before last fall. Biden took office. The average price was two fifty per gallon. Yeah, folks, are you finding two fifty a gallon anywhere? I don't think so. Hell no. Don't think so, folks. Man, I put together a lot of stuff today. Holy Moses, this is really a lot of stuff. I'm not even get to any of this. All right, um, you know what? Let's do one. Can we flip to the New York Post article at the end? I just want to get to that quick, and then I'll, we'll do the questions because it's important. I want you to read this New York Post article uh, along the lines of what I was talking about before with the prosecutors, how I have some value added here with a career in law enforcement. I feel like I owe you that experience. Um, some hosts have it, some hosts don't. There's a New York Post article in the newsletter you need to read. Ten career criminals racked up nearly 500 arrests since New York bail reform began. I've been telling you about this, ladies and gentlemen. This is why broken windows policing. When you lock people up for turnstile jumping, this is why it works. Because the same guy who jumps the turnstile, Joe, and doesn't pay the fare is the guy who rapes a woman on the train. There are an increasingly small number of people committing most of the crime in big cities. When you lock them up, just like this New York Post article indicates, the crime slows down. When you let them out, crime goes crazy. Read it. That's what matters. Okay, questions. Time for, wait, questions for Dan. I got to do my intro. We've been coordinating that pretty well. Hey, Dan, at Bob Richardson 3. How often should someone train to maintain proficiency with a firearm for home home and personal protection? How do you train? Well, um, I can tell you in, uh, when I was a federal agent, we had to shoot monthly. And uh, monthly, I saw no diminution in my skills at all. When I was shooting quarterly, when you're in the Secret Service and you're in D.C., you have to shoot monthly. Don't ask me why. 
when, when you, the answer is, I don't know. I'm not sure if you're smart. When you're in the field office, you have to shoot quarterly. I found minor, minor diminutions in skills quarterly. Monthly, if I shot even 30 rounds, I stayed tight. That's just my opinion. You may be a really good shot and may not need to shoot monthly, but I, I, you know, I felt it was better for me. Hey, Dan, at MTX Press, been watching your show. Love them. Thank you. And I'm interested in the how to defend yourself parts. I have several handicaps. Is there a way I can still train to protect myself? Well, um, I, I'm sorry to hear that. I don't um, know what your handicaps are, and obviously you're under no obligation to disclose them. I am not. I don't have any known uh, handicaps as, as would be defined in common usage, but I do have severe arthritis, and I can't move my left arm. So from my experience, what you can do is if you take a Brazilian jiu-jitsu class or anything like that, again, I don't know the limitations of your movement, you can work around just about anything. Um, I can't move my left knee much either. So what I would do is I would always arm bar. I would always arm bar a subject's left arm because the way my right leg can go around their head and create the crank part, I can't do it with my left leg. Also, I know if I'm, if I'm uh, boxing, I box southpaw now. Why? Because my left arm doesn't straighten. So I can't jab. So I jab with my right arm, and if I want to, probably giving away all my secrets. But if I want to hook with my left arm, my my arm's already cranked because of my arthritic elbow, kind of like Joe Frazier had it. So if I want to hook, I turn and, and box uh, traditional. That means I'm going to hook you at some point. So you can work around it. You just got to find what your limitations are and find different ways to create the same moves. Hey Dan, Publius Veritas. In your opinion, what's the single most effective way you can get involved in political change other than voting and running for office? volunteering, go out and knock on doors. It makes a huge difference for candidates. If you don't have the time to do it, find some time. It really matters. I had the best volunteers in the world for my campaign. I owe them big. At California Refugee, hey, Dan, do you think Bitcoin will have any relevance when the stuff hits the fan or should I cash it in and fill my tank and maybe buy an extra loaf of bread or two? Um, I love Bitcoin. Where the technology of crypto is going to flush out, there's a lot of scams out there, unfortunately, too, giving crypto a bad name. Uh, I believe in Bitcoin. I think it does have a role, especially uh, blockchain. I-, I can't tell you what to do with your money. If I had it, I don't have a ton of it. Um, I would hold and see where it goes. Uh, I think the technology, the blockchain technology is amazing, especially with government spending money like crazy. At AV Law 911, hey, Dan, how are you doing after your road trip? Man, was I tired. I got through yesterday's show with a lot of espressos, and I love doing it. It's not like hard work. I don't want to be dramatic. But I was tired. I left the house at five o'clock in the morning, got back on that flight at about 11, got to sleep about midnight, only slept like three hours. I was exhausted, but I'm doing okay now. And my daughter's doing great too. So thanks for asking. If you want to see some video of it, I got on my locals. It's a short video, but it's pretty good. Dan, could you please state again why Google's so evil and why you've cut them out of your life? My husband doesn't believe me and I need those facts again. Okay. Uh, I haven't cut them totally out of my life. I'm never going to lie to you. I still have some Google products. It's hard. They're attached. It's, it's a slow process. I have canceled the Google ad network on my websites. Um, I canceled YouTube. I don't do YouTube. The last video we left in our YouTube account is why we're leaving YouTube. Um, we've canceled a bunch of other Google products for our business too. Uh, the reason is uh, just a couple of reasons. Number one, their SEO. They use their search engine to guide people towards f- fake news sources on the left. Second, they use YouTube to discriminate and ban against conservative content. Um, and third, they cancel and boycott conservatives using their ad network to make sure you can't speak. It's really as simple as that. Thanks for your question. Uh, this is the last one. Oh, and I love this question. 
Hey, Dan, at Hometown Girl 22, greatest guitarist of all time. Oh, this is gonna, I'm gonna get in a lot of trouble for this, Joe. Tell me if you agree. I know, because when you, this show, this is one of those questions you could create a lot of enemies. I'm just gonna give you my opinion, and in no particular order Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy Page, Eddie Van Halen. That's just my opinion. Don't hate me, Joe. Not bad, not bad, not bad. I like different ones, but not bad. Well, who are you? I'd love to. Are you at, Joe is an actual professional musician. You're going to say Clapton? I mean, well, Clapton, Prince. Angus Young, and uh, Jimmy Page, I like a lot too. Folks, let me tell you something. Take Joe's opinion, not mine. The man, <laughs> seriously, I know you let's call it the Dan Bongino show, but you can call it the Joe Armacost show for that. He is a professional musician. He knows. So take his opinion, disregard what I just said. But we both agree on Page. Yeah. Page's man. And Hendrix, come on. Hendrix was just ridiculous. I mean, the guy was just from another planet. All right. Hey, Dan, my father claims to be a Republican, but uh, he says most Republican, uh, but he's completely blind to the fact that most Republican politicians are really Democrats. Every time I bring it up, he calls it a conspiracy. He doesn't understand the Constitution or understand how tyranny develops. He has no interest in learning these topics. How do we communicate with people like this? The answer is slowly over time and always bring the facts. Do not ever come without receipts because they'll say, how do you know that? And if your answer is, I don't know, your credibility is completely lost. This is the last one. At Maya the Husky 13. Hey, Dan, what was the largest fish you caught since moving to Florida? Um, A goldfish at the St. Joseph's Fall Festival two years ago. I don't fish, (laughs) um, but I put that in there for me. Yes, goldfish died about a week later. So uh, thank you all for your questions. Hey, don't miss my show tomorrow night, Unfiltered and Fox 9 p.m., the monologue. I don't want to say what it is because I'm afraid someone's going to fleece the idea. The monologue is amazing, and it goes right at the heart of the Democrat scam. Don't miss the mono. And I have uh, that mixed martial arts fighter who took that guy down in New York. He'll be a guest. And I've got uh, Dr. Aaron Cariotti about the use of psychedelics. Check it out. Don't miss it. I'll see you all later. Good day, sir. You just heard Dan Bongino.